the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company here on a Wednesday. Much to get into today. We'll get into the uh, wackiness of the NBA Lakers opener. That didn't go too well. Draymond Green was out there for GSW. We'll get into Draymond and his video that he put out, which is uh, very weird. John Von Tolo along in just a little bit. But we start out the show with a special guest in studio. He usually joins us in the middle of the hour, but Caleb Herring is in the building with us today. First of all, are you okay, Lakers, last night? That wasn't too good. <laughs> no, it was not. But, you know, the good thing about it, I guess it, I'm ever the optimist, is that it is what I expected it to be. Like, the problem is what we knew it was going to be coming into the season. There was no surprise. You can't shoot uh, 10 for 40 from three. At some point, you're going to have to address the elephant in the room, get some shooting. Uh, we knew the lineup wasn't going to work. Uh, the players that they have, there's just one ball, and everybody, you know, at their best needs the ball in their hand. You know, whether it's Anthony Davis in the post, LeBron as the point forward, Russ as the floor, everything generator when he was in Oklahoma. Like, the best of each of our best players requires them to have the ball. We have nobody that thrives off the ball, and that's what you saw. Like, And then, granted, you're going up against a team that has no such issue, right? Like, you're going against the cream of the crop in basketball. So it's... Kind of not a fair standard. We're a team as the Lakers who are trying to figure it out, um, and the Warriors are established. They're going to be good again. Favorites probably, I don't know the numbers, but to win it all again. Um, so not the best measuring stick for where we are as a franchise. But it's also frustrating because when you sold out to go for LeBron and when you made LeBron the, 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 the way forward, it's not like there already wasn't a script on what kind of roster you need to construct to support LeBron and to, to make to give him a supporting cast. He's always had shooters. Like if you look back at all of his rosters, it's been known to surround him with shooters, empty the paint. The guys that are traditional post players become stretch four players, Kevin Love and Chris Bosch. That's the formula. They are the ones, the Lakers organization, who have deviated from that formula. If LeBron's the option, get shooters. That it should be that simple. Not not Rondo, not Russ. Not, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly, these guys that are like others, get them shooters. And then, you know, all will be well. But like I said, this is kind of an expected loss. Nobody expects anything different. I think a healthy Laker team still gets to the playoffs despite all the troubles. But this was just an example of how the Warriors are now the golden standard and the Lakers are now finding their way. Let's hone in on something you said a couple minutes ago, though, that the Lakers deviated. Lakers deviate? Who makes the decisions? You don't think they run everything by yeah. Team LeBron? Yeah. I, I, I mean, they definitely do. And that was evident with the Anthony Davis trade. So you could see the buddy system with some of the selections that are made. Because sometimes the player doesn't know best for what the team needs, right? Like maybe he's looking out for Anthony Davis. Maybe he wants to play with Brody. You know, those kind of things maybe are the personal touch that LeBron has input on. The GM should be like, hey, no. you. This is what you bring to the table. This is how we make you work as far as winning goes. Now, they did get a championship with Anthony Davis in the bubble. There's a lot of people that say, don't count. It, 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 it counts. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely it counts. counts. And that was, that was a better mix, and they went away from – I mean, that team had deviated a bit, too, from having some three-point shooters. But the last couple of years, obviously, the Westbrook trade was just silly. And yeah. I think he – I think LeBron rubber-stamped that one. It, it's not working. It's not going to work. He's going to have to be – a bench player, I just don't understand this offseason. I know they were very restricted in terms of what they could bring in, but we've seen teams throughout history that had a chance, that players around the league view as having a chance to win a title, 
guys will go there, veterans, in roles on discounts. But yeah. maybe there's a lot of players around the league who are like, the Lakers are a mess, and I don't think they can win. So, no, I'm not taking less money to go and win 43 games. And I think that's the as a Laker fan, because like I said, Lakers are the priority for me, not LeBron, not whoever the players, the Lakers. That's the worry for me is that the Lakers as a franchise have lost that mystique in the league where it's like the purple and gold used to mean something, and now I don't think it does. It, it, like it, We're not attracting the free agent names. It's not just the Lakers walking into the room, everybody bows down anymore. Somebody else's turn, and I, I, all indicators say it's Golden State's turn to be that again in the NBA, but the Lakers have lost it. And that's that's the scary thing because now it's like, well, what happens when you don't even have LeBron? Like the Father Time's going to catch him eventually. Anthony Davis, unreliable superstar, if anything, injuries or otherwise. So, I mean, that's the worry as a fan. Where do we go after this mess is finally rid? We don't have any draft cap pet picks. We don't have any young players who are up and coming. We're just going to be like way, a dying franchise. They, they don't have draft picks, and the ones they traded to New Orleans aren't protected. No. So, like, if LeBron went down this year or AD and all of a sudden it's like they can't win more than 22 games, all of a sudden the Lakers could be looking up with their pick in the lottery and, I mean, God forbid it went number one, and all of a sudden, you know, Weminyama uh, eludes yeah. the the grasp <laughs> of the Lakers and he lands in New Orleans, which that trade is going to turn out to be a really interesting one because when they made it, they didn't protect any of the picks. This is the hurtful part. And I apologize for handing you my phone because I'm going to show you an image here. They were a laughing stock. Uh-oh. The Lakers were last night on social media. And this actually, I think, was before the game uh, talking about running it back. Can you describe the images to the audience? <laughs> okay. So the first one is probably the most popular one. It's Russell Westbrook holding a, a cinder block, basically about to shoot a brick. <laughs> like, literally shooting a brick. <laughs> And there's there's Anthony Davis dressed Anthony Davis dressed as I think it's Samuel L. Jackson's character in Glass for the movie uh, buffs out there in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair yeah, with in a wheelchair. A, with a purple fluorescent suit on. And then the one I feel <laughs> worst about because he doesn't look like this and he's like he's defying time. But LeBron, LeBron as an old man, like like it's, it's, it almost looks like Bill Cosby. Um, he's the, bald the with a aging. giant white beard. He, he looks he's like probably a, he, really he, more bald than this in real life, oh, yeah. which is crazy. He's, he looks he's like Catino Mobley from uh, <laughs> Big Three from Ice Cubes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all it's, wrinkled up. I think it's that that Russian hack. Uh, yeah, yeah, the old app that I yeah. use to you know, and it, I, I look pretty good actually. And LeBron that, looks terrible. And that's the, I mean, when you see preseason reports of you know game one of the preseason, Anthony Davis out with back tightness. That's what you go to. You're like, yep, here we go again. Run it back. No, nobody's going to be playing. Russell Westbrook's going to be throwing up bricks, and LeBron's going to be the, the ageless one. He's, he looks like Kyrie and what is the movie when Kyrie plays an old— He's Uncle uh, Drew. Yeah, Uncle Drew. He looks like Uncle Drew. That's that's our team. That's that's our hope to run it back. Like, Jesus. That is depressing. Caleb Herring, strong start here on Cofield and Company as we bring him out and just bandy him about and get him all depressed. Uh, Raiders fans are feeling the, the same way right now. Um— and unlike the Lakers, like Lakers have a long season. Lakers just have to get on the dance floor. Getting on the dance floor now in the playoffs in the NBA is not as hard as it used to be because they now extend it out to 10 teams. The NFL is tough, and the AFC is really rough. One and four sucks, but yeah. it sucks. If it was in the NFC, maybe they'd have a shot. This is a long-haul deal. I wanted to ask you, as a guy who ran an offense at UNLV and Caleb Herring's with us, former quarterback of the Rebels, can there be a, a point where the bye week is just too early? Like, what could they really fix, or did they really need this break at one and four? And you know, I think the situation is different for every team. I think because this team has so much new to it, it, it kind of may benefit them um, that it's earlier because you know Devonte Adams obviously and Carr with this offense, new head coach, new offensive structure, 
Derek Carr's mentioned it, that they're still learning the offense in some ways. So this early buy could be an opportunity to maybe, before we get too late in the season and the stakes rise a little bit, to go back to maybe some install-type stuff in practice where it's like we're focusing on us again, and you have the breathing room to do it. Granted, it's a, a terrible start to the season, and you're behind the eight ball in a lot of ways um, with some uh, a big hill to climb out of. Um, but I think this buy, actually for this team, is a little bit beneficial because, like I said, you reset a little bit and go back to building up yourself and focusing on what you need to do better without the pressure of an upcoming competition and game planning for this next opponent. So it might help them. Um, not a lot of teams find themselves in that situation, though. Like Most teams have a structure already where it's like a bye week this early is not necessarily going to get you more healthy because the injuries haven't stacked up yet or things like that. The normal use of a bye week just isn't there. Um, but for this Raider team, I think it does it does help that it's a little earlier, especially with all the distractions that are going on off the field. We, you know, with Devontae um, and his legal troubles now, seems like every year the Raiders have something. Um, but it's it's maybe good for them to kind of disappear off the scene for a little bit, let the rest of the league move on a little bit, and get back to the basics within the Raider organization. The wacky thing about this one and four start. And I have to look back at historical data about, you know, the best one and four team ever. Uh, <laughs> I saw someone debating the other day about the 76 Steelers had gotten off to a one and four start. The difference is those Steeler teams had already won championships and they had like 10 Hall of Famers on the team. The worst part about this one and four start is you look around the league and you're like, the Rams are not good right now. Mm -hmm. The Packers are not good right now. They're both three and three. Mm -hmm. So for you, again, as a former quarterback, when Matt Stafford and Aaron Rodgers accept 50 or $60 million, part of their responsibility now is, hey, guys, you took the money. You're going to have to kind of make you know, some potential twos and threes at receiver. This is going to have to work. And right now, for both teams, it doesn't really seem to be working. No. What's, what's the problem with Stafford and Rodgers? I, I think it's, it's the problem of building a roster, and it's what you see when you do it. And I don't want to say the wrong way because you got two good quarterbacks there. But when you build your roster to focus on the quarterback, which is kind of a trend, the quarterback is getting more and more value as far as use of percentage of the salary cap that they use. That, to me, has never been the way to build winning teams. Like, you have to give a quarterback who is the most dependent position on the field. When you really look at the way football breaks down, the quarterbacks are the most dependent. The receivers have to catch it. The line has to block. The center has to snap it. Everything else has to – the defense has to play well. The quarterback is so dependent, so it just doesn't make sense from building a roster to pay that much to one player. Um, and then now you're seeing the effects of having to have younger, less experienced, maybe less talented wide receivers for Aaron Rodgers. It's like, yeah, you can ask for this ridiculous amount of contract, and everybody has to respect it and bow down to what you've accomplished. But the result of that is going to be you're going to have receivers that drop passes or that are younger or that are rookies or that – based on his comments this week that just don't get football. we got to simplify it for them. Um, that's the result of you getting all the money. You getting the lion's share of the salary cap. Um, I think that's the situation in Green Bay. Now with the Rams, I think it's a little bit different because I think not only do they pay the quarterback, they pay everybody over there, but their offensive structure is so centered around Cooper Cup that nobody else basically is an option. They build plays to get him open, to get Cooper Cup the ball, and that's it. So nobody else shines, and not everybody can go into that role and have success. So the offense is so focused on Cooper Rush, defenses are catching up. Like, take him away, what else do they have? And you see the struggles of their offense this year. But I think both ways are just flaws in how you build a roster and how you build success. The team has to be involved. It can't just be about one guy. And I think the Packers and the Rams are dealing with it in different ways of the team focusing on one guy. 
Let's do a giveaway right now. 364-1100, We've got the big after party, silver and black after party, a crazy horse three. JVT is going to be out there with Fox Sports Radio, John Von Tobel on the scene, and we can get you in for the party for free with VIP treatment. It's a table for you and three of your friends. Gets you some free drinks as well. Jared's got the prize information right now. Caller 7364-1100. It's Crazy Horse 3. Go out there. Free entry for anyone with a local ID or to show the game ticket. It's Crazy Horse 3 across from the stadium on Russell. Winner right now. Caller 7364-1100. Today after Cofield and Company, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here on a Wednesday, Cofield and Company. Caleb Herring, nice enough to uh, stick around for some extra time. He's in studio with us. John Von Tobel will be along in a little bit. I'm really looking forward to the Big Four at Four today. We will get into the Draymond Green Video Also coming up in about uh, 25 minutes, some updates on running Rebel recruiting. Real aggressive. Real aggressive. They got one commit early in the week. We'll tell you what's going on with uh, Rebel basketball in just a little bit. So concussions are such a big part of what's going on in conversation around the NFL and college football. Tua apparently is going to be back. I heard a really interesting clip from Tua this morning on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas, where he was talking about not only did he have to deal with a concussion and kind of the confusion of, you know, coming back and going through all the tests, but then he also had to basically testify to multiple people at the league level, the team level, uh, doctors outside the organization. Like he actually said it was kind of, kind of stressful. Um, you had a concussion or two way back in the day. I think some of the protocols have changed since when you played, but what is it like trying to come back? Like get your head right. And then also, you know, the most important thing, well, one is your health, but two, you've I mean, th- these, <laughs> Football quarterback is a you got to be on top of it. Yeah, and then maybe that confused. Like, are, do you think to yourself, am I right for this right now? Am I ready? Right. It, there's there's always that, but and that's with every injury too. Like where it's like you know when you tear your ACL, you're always like conscious about it. Like, am I really ready to run again? With your brain, it's, it's really hard to gauge it because like, am I really ready to think again? That's literally what it comes down to. Like, I can't focus and think good. If that makes sense. It's like I can't do it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize it because it's an invisible muscle, how much of a muscle your brain is. Like, it's like there's so much that it's constantly doing, whether it's just input that you're receiving on a daily basis, the peripheral stuff, the senses, all of that's up here in your brain. So it's really hard to rest it and to turn it off. That's like the number one recommended thing for every injury. So like, give it rest, let it heal. How do you turn your brain off? That's like, if I mean, maybe some people are closer than others, but I think turning your brain off is the hardest thing to do. And into a situation, they almost violated the protocol of all the known research on how to turn your brain off by involving him in the stressful testimony process of figuring out, you know, protocol with me. Like, you're not, are you following the protocol by making him get up on the witness stand? Because he should be resting. His brain should be turned off. He should be in a dark, climate-controlled room with noise-canceling headphones on trying to recover his brain, right? That would probably be optimal recovery. But he's not. He's stressed out. I know how hard it is just to get back to football, like, and, you know, with dealing with a concussion, there's a fuzz that's there, and your, your mind's not right if you're if it's severe enough, maybe even swelling in the brain. And when you're looking at what Tua's gone through, his two head injuries where his muscles are locking up and he, it's, it, it's a scary thing to look at, his 
body is responding differently than other people's to concussions. It's not the standard shake it off, get back up. There's some neurological stuff going on with Tua that I think is more serious and more elevated. I'm not a doctor, but we all saw what happened to him. And it's a little bit more serious and elevated. I don't know if I'd be in a hurry to rush back to football. I'd be very delicate if I was Tua for my own personal health. It got, it's got to become personal here, not just about the NFL protocol, but your own personal health. Is it really worth rushing back for a, a Week 7 game uh, if you're Tua with a, a good start to the season? Is it really worth it? I don't know if it is, If just looking at it from the outside looking in. Doug Rumfield, no practice on Tuesday, no practice this morning. My guess is now he's probably going to be out against Notre Dame. He's dealing with concussion and concussion protocol. And he's also got an ankle, which I don't think has really been reported a whole lot. But uh, at least at the game uh, this past weekend at Air Force, I noticed, you know, there was still a little bit of a limp. But which, you know, for a guy like that, he's got to have his mobility. And when you're coming off a head injury, you got to be able to move. Yeah. And I think this is with Doug. It's something that Coach Arroyo has mentioned in, in the weeks since Doug went out. Um, is that he's aware of this. Like the timetable is not just when he's clear. It's when he's capable. Like it's he can be all checks, all box checked for a medical standpoint. But can you really lock in and focus? Can you get the game plan material? Can you be up to 100% uh, on the field? Because you're not going to be a lame duck. And I think that's the right way to do it um, if you're UNLV. Getting him back is important. And I think weighing the risk of having him back at 100% versus rolling him out there as a lame duck um, for the slaughter, essentially, is, is the balance. We saw Doug on the sideline at Allegiant, um, which was a good sign just to see him in good spirits. He was smiling and, yeah. and kind of... He had the really dark sunglasses on, which, like we talked about, dealing with a concussion. You know, I didn't even think of that because he's had him on at practice this week, too. And he's been out at practice. Right. And, and just, again, I'll want to make sure. I heard some stuff on the station about, you know, concussions and Doug Brumfield's not going to do anything. He's not going to touch a ball. Doug Brumfield on Friday ran around a little bit last Friday. He, yeah. he wasn't going to play, but, you know, he, and he didn't throw. You know, sources told me basically he, he didn't need to throw. What's the point? He's right. not, you know, wasn't going to play for a little while. So, He's he's been active, but the glasses thing I hadn't even I hadn't even processed. Yeah, you're right. It, I was like, I oh, styling and profiling today, but actually there's a right, a real that, reason you're putting that on the light sunglasses. sensitivity. It's it's a big deal for like trying to get your brain to relax uh, okay. a little bit. So that's I mean that's part of it. But there's going to be physical activity, and that's part of the recovery process. As with anything, you have to test it and see how your body responds. Like you could feel great, you can feel 100 percent when you're sitting on a couch doing nothing, and as soon as you go to stand up, it's like, whoa, I'm dizzy, lightheaded. How did that happen? Well, you exerted yourself, so you have to slowly piecing back in now he's not going to be out there live drills you know running seven on seven or anything like that but he's going to be active he's going and they're going to monitor his body's response to it if he feels focused if he feels fuzzy whatever the case may be and it's a lot of self-reporting so doug has to be able to within reason test his own limits to an extent too which you want to see you want to see him get out there and be with the team and interact with the guys to some degree but um to say he's going to do nothing that, that's that's not the process recovery is an active process so right. there's active things and steps you need to take and show to show that you are actually recovering and not just being lazy on the sideline. Caleb Herring's here. It's Cofield. Cofield and company as we uh, just kick off the uh, first half of the first hour here on a Wednesday. Uh, just so you know, we go super deep dive on UNLV football and UNLV sports on our UNLV All Access podcast, which drops tomorrow. A lot of stuff to get into. So we'll touch on a little bit of it here because we want to talk about defense against Notre Dame and what happened against Air Force, and we'll get into the the change from three four to to four three, almost like four four at times. I want to get into that on the podcast, but something I wanted to address: team chemistry and loyalty. There were some guys on defense who saw their role change. Right, guys who didn't play a whole lot the whole year, they played a lot. 
Well, that means someone who played a lot all year had to take a back seat and play less plays. And I just wonder from a repair standpoint, listen, you were in the locker room. You know how testy people can get when you lose, and then you didn't play. You're like, man, I could have helped. Jeray Williams is one of the leaders on this team, and he didn't play a whole lot. I think he logged 23 or 24 plays against Air Force. Um, his play was cut down. We assumed with Adam Plan out that Isaiah Sales would play a lot. He didn't. Um, Elijah Shelton played, but he didn't play as much as he normally does. Is there a situation where the coaches may have to go to them and go, listen, don't get, you know, don't get all worked up. Yeah. Right. We tried it. You didn't play. We need you. Like what happens with players when you, you lose and then you didn't get to play a lot when you're usually out there a lot. I think it, it, it can go a lot of different ways. Obviously there's players react differently. Coaches maybe handle that situation differently. A lot of it has to do with how you, come into that situation. So what kind of rapport have you built with your roster? Um, I think it says a lot that they felt that they could maybe change it up that big. Um, and the players kind of were on board with it going in. That means that they've kind of built that rapport and that trust with the coaches and the players where, hey, the, the players trust their coaches to make that decision. The only the problem is, is when it doesn't work and it, it backfires as epically as it did in Air Force because let's, let's be frank about it. it. The plan didn't work. Limiting Dre's minutes... It, it might have been a good idea, but when it doesn't work and the product on the field shows it, now Jure has the doubt that creeps in like, man, see, I knew I should have been in the game. There's no way, as a human response, you're going to have that. And as people, observers watching it, we could see, like, why isn't Jure on the field? He's, one of, he's been one of the highlights of the season. Why isn't he out there? He could have made a difference. Now, as a coach, you have to go address it. I, that, this is just my opinion. You have to address the elephant in the room. Be willing to say, as the leader, I made a mistake here. Maybe we got to readdress and assess the situation, and maybe you need to be on the field more. Maybe that's an individual meeting with Jure or whoever the, the person is that you, you're talking about. But you have to, as a coach, address it and say, like, look, we steered you wrong here. We're going to get it back. We need your input. We need you to still be on the ship and continue to trust us. Look at the four wins that we got in this early in season. There has to be some recovery message when you take it on the chin like you did against Air Force and with, like you said, the limitations on minutes that were just unexpected. Um, that's you got to address it. There's no way around it. Um, there could be splintering. The good locker rooms hash it out, close doors. You don't hear anything about it. It happens. It's over, and you move on to the next week. The biggest cure for it is go win, go get a win somewhere, and, and winning heals all in sports. But um, it definitely is there, and it, it's a question that the staff is going to have to answer. How creatively they need to um, is going to be up to how the locker room responds to. It. I think there there's legitimate frustration from a player standpoint when that kind of thing happens. More UNLV football talk coming up after this show, 6 o'clock, the Marcus Arroyo radio show. i got about a minute left. Caleb Herring's here. It's Cofield and Company. The backup quarterback situation, which is now the starting quarterback situation, we'll touch on Bailey on the podcast. Why does Cameron Friel look like he's a, a tick behind? I know things you talked about last year with, say, Justin Rogers and the fact that Friel moved ahead of him as a true freshman was urgency. Why, why don't I feel that urgency this time around from Cam Friel? I think it comes down to the reps being limited. He's like his reps have gone from 50-50 or competitive reps where he's in there with the ones. He's engaged in practice by just being out there on the field to for the first time we're seeing what happens when it's 80-20. Like Doug's been getting all the reps for the last five, six weeks because he's declared, he's a starter. So now Cameron has had less actual reps in practice than he's ever had in college. So I think that there's a little bit of a natural regression that you take there. Um, and then in that, there's some self-doubt. Like, you start to doubt yourself because now you're officially the backup for the first time. You you were 
in competition. Last year, you were the starter, right? So you had all the confidence of a starter. Now this year, you're second-guessing yourself as if you're a backup. You're, you're pitching in relief, so to speak. It's a very different mental approach. So you're seeing some hesitancy. You're seeing some poor decisions. You're seeing late decisions. It's, it's a part of the process when you take reps away from a guy um, in practice and he doesn't get to prepare like he has been accustomed to. And I think that's what it is. It's a growing pain. It's a different role. I don't know how you fix it in the middle of a season. And this is you're, when you get looking at the NFL, you get Cooper Rush. That's how sometimes a backup can go. And then then you have a week where he lays an egg where it's like, well, how? Like, how did that happen? How? It's because he still is a backup. He's not he's not accustomed to being the starter at this point right now. If he ends up being the starter for an extended time, maybe he gets back up to that. But right now we're just seeing that regression period, the ebbs and flow of, of the quarterback mindset. Next time you hear Caleb is on Saturday. Learfield pregame goes at 11 o'clock, kickoff at 1130 at Notre Dame. On the way back on Cofield and Company, we'll react to uh, yesterday's Major League Baseball and start looking ahead to the championship series. Sundays at 8 a.m. Get ready for the day in pro football with Adam Candy's Sunday football preview show live inside Westgate Superbook right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company. If I were him and I did that, I would say, you know what? I don't even deserve to be a ring night. I actually woke up to the video. I don't know if the, the dynamic necessarily changes or not because you never really know people's opinions right away. You know, you give it some time to allow people to throw their opinion out, which quite frankly, I don't care about people's opinion. And so I was just at home chilling with my children. If you want me to be honest with you, I still don't know how much the world may think it blew up. Pretty incredible video that's out. By Draymond Green. That's just part of it. It's seven and a half minutes. We're going to get into it. The big four at four. It's Cofield. Jared's here in for Ari. John Von Tobel along in just a little bit. Please watch this video. We'll tweet it out. I tweeted it out earlier today. It's one of the more wacky things I've watched. And I'm seeing this more and more in society. Where someone does something pretty bad and somehow can pivot it to it's your fault. Like righteous indignation from someone who's completely and totally in the wrong, but somehow it's not their fault. Uh, This is also a prime example of what we may get from the new media that Draymond Green touts is going to be so better than the old media. So stick around. If you have watched it already, I think you know what I'm talking about, but it's pretty incredible stuff, and it comes from a guy who really has never had his feet held to the fire when it comes to accountability, and I don't know if what they just did after he cracked and knocked out Jordan Poole and the way they handled it is going to teach Draymond any lessons, and I'll leave it at that. I got a lot to say on this one. So, on the basketball front, we were just talking about UNLV football, and remind you again, we do a podcast once a week called UNLV All Access Podcast. It's part of Learfield. Learfield obviously runs their games, their play-by-play. Marcus Rora radio show right here on ESPN Las Vegas. But we're going to get into a lot more basketball on that podcast because we've been doing mostly football. So Curtis Terry's part of that podcast, and Caleb Herring is part of the podcast. And one of the things we've got to update you on is – UNLV basketball recruiting. So, you know, a lot of people in the market want UNLV to get back to the level 
of uh, at least competing for the NCAA tournament every year, which in turn will mean maybe they can get you know 10,000 people out on a regular basis again to the Thomas and Mac. It was only oh, about seven years ago uh, before everything kind of you know went downhill with the coaching confusion and and uh, you know Lon Kruger leaving and uh, just kind of you know decent seasons, you know seasons going from. Lon Kruger winning 25 and, and 26 games, and, and Dave Rice did that for a couple of years. And I should mention Dave Rice had you know a couple of good years there, but the uh, the booting of Dave Rice and then the confusion on who was going to be the coach, and it's it just it's been the perfect storm. VGK coming into the market and winning, going all the way to the Stanley Cup final, so attendance is way down. So in my mind, if they if UNLV can compete for NCAA bids every year, be a top three team in the Mountain West, they'll they'll start getting eight, nine, ten. Thousand for big games, maybe they can get even more than that. But you know, the first steps are now. First step was last year. Now they got to reach another level. And what they're trying to figure out now is how to program build. So these first two years, they've gone to the transfer portal and they turned over the roster a whole bunch last year. But they had Bryce uh, Bryce Hamilton, right? A lot of Bryces. Bryce Hamilton around to carry them at you know twenty three points a game. He was freaking awesome. Well, he's not there. So they again went into the transfer portal and they did something a little different this time because you remember last year they had some. You know, one-year fill-in guys like Mike Nuga, Royce Ham, Donovan Williams could have been a two- or three-year guy, but he uh, he got titillated by the idea of making money, right? Who doesn't when you're 21, 22? So he's going to make his run at the NBA. What they did in the transfer portal this time around is they didn't get many quick fixes. They tried to get guys who could be at UNLV for two and three years. You got to keep them because every year that transfer portal could be calling and take guys out. But that's kind of the plan. So what's happened the last couple of days on the recruiting trail is pretty interesting. I don't know if everyone has seen this, but uh, on Monday, they got a commit from a JUCO power forward. And power is the uh, important word here. Rob Whaley is 6'5", somewhere north of 240. When I was inquiring about his weight, I got a kind of an eye roll. Not in a bad way. He's a big dude. He's probably about 270 pounds. Um, But a below-the-rim guy who can score... And apparently hasn't been you know real well defended. So what I mean by that is he can score pretty much anytime he wants in the lane. So again, you're bringing in someone who's a little older. It's not a true freshman. So that was their first commit because they need a little more power inside. They're going to have Isaiah Cottrell around for a couple of years, and he's got. By the way, he's got to get healthy because he got hurt on the Canada trip. So he's got a foot injury, and they expect him. He's the big big guy from Bishop Gorman who went to West Virginia. Um, had leg issues, played a little bit. But you can see, like, you, when you see Isaiah Cottrell, you're like, okay, that's a power five big man. He's 6'10", 240, can face the basket, shoot some threes. I mean, he's, he's like a gigantic guy. David Mwoka, another big. Right? He's going to be here for, I think, another year. Um, I always got to keep up with the COVID years because it gets confusing. But uh, David's, you know, legit 6'10", 6'11". So they've got some bigs, right? So they added to that area. Today they got to commit for a true freshman. You know, a 2023 freshman, a guy named Brooklyn Hicks, out of the state of Washington. Uh, They beat out, in the end, I think it was Rice, Nevada, Washington State. And Washington State's a a good program now. They they, they recruit, and uh, they actually beat the Rebels on the recruiting trail during the summer for, uh, you know, um, well, actually, a little earlier than that, but for someone that was really covered in another big, they were going after. So that's a dangerous school Oregon State was in on, Brooklyn Hicks. Cincinnati came west, tried to get involved as well. So this looks like a pretty good guy, a top 200 player, 6'3 guard. And we'll see what he looks like when we watch a little video on him 
Um, and they're in on one more 2023 freshman, a 6667 kid out of Texas named Carson Templin. So I don't know if he's going to decide this week, but he could decide soon. UNLV's in his final three. He's got Utah State, Utah Valley. And you can see there's a Utah connection here because uh, the big kid, Rob Whaley, is actually from Bountiful, Utah. He's playing at College of Southern Idaho. And Barrett Peary, one of the new assistants for the Rebels, is uh, very familiar with the the Utah market. So this Carson Templin has UNLV in his final three. I saw Justin Bean from Utah State. They're also in there kind of sending some messages. You know what, Justin? Go to the NBA or go overseas. Stop recruiting for Utah State. That's enough. Cut it out, all right? You've, that guy was around for like seven years at Utah State. Enough with your influence on the program. But, hey, that's what alums and uh, legends of programs should do. They should pitch in when they can legally. So it's interesting. They may get a couple of freshman commits. And my first thought yesterday was, why? Why? I know Jared's in, so I'll, you, don't, you don't have to pop on. But I know... That the press box likes to harp on the fact that UNLV got, you know, or has no freshman commits. Do you build a program anymore with freshmen? This is this is a kind of the whole interesting thing here in program building in college basketball. Are freshmen useful if you bring them in, the majority of them, unless you're talking, you know, Gonzaga and Kentucky and UCLA and North Carolina and Duke, the majority of them are probably gonna have some growing pains. Right, And we can name a bunch of other schools that have the resources to get guys like that. Most freshmen are not going to play early. Now with the portal, it seems like most freshmen who don't get playing time, what do they do? They look to go elsewhere. So you've got the challenge of, hey, you might not play, but don't freak out and leave. So you're battling that one. I'll give you a good example. Keyshawn Hall is their freshman on this team this year, right? And uh, Keyshawn Gilbert, actually, he was he was the outlier last year. He wasn't you know great and developed offensively, but man, he brought an edge and he played defense, which is incredibly rare for freshmen to come in and be uh, able to go on the floor for even 15 minutes. And you're like, that guy plays defense like we want him to play. Most freshmen aren't going to be good defensive players. And Keyshawn Hall is a really intriguing dude that they got. He's 6'6", he's 250 pounds, he's offensive-minded, but he's probably got to trim about 15 or 20 pounds off. And, you know, he's they're, he's going through the ringer, right? I mean, this is the, the most of UNLV's team is older, they're big, they're strong, they're veterans. Um, the game goes fast. You know, this isn't prep school or high school. So, again, back to the whole building with freshman thing is really interesting. Is there a cap on how many freshmen you can bring in? Is it like two now? Um now, the flip side of that is, how do you get old and stay old? Because if you look at the teams that had a lot of success, let's look at the Mountain West Conference, right? Teams that had success at the top of the heap. San Diego State is generally old. They augment with a couple of transfer portal guys. They did it again this year. They brought in a point guard from Seattle, and they've got another impact transfer in. Most of their guys came back. They had a red shirt sitting out, so they're old. But... Can most schools, like San Diego State, still recruits freshmen? But, again, then you've got to get them in, and they're probably going to have to be around for two and three years before they get playing time. Can you keep them calm? Can you develop them without having other schools calling them, hey, you know what, drop down a level or you know, come 
laterally to a school. So that's a challenge now. And I really wonder how Kevin Kruger is going to manage this because his first two years, he's gone out and he's turned over the entire roster for the most part with older guys. Well, I mean, I think we get a little bit of an answer here. They're, they just got a commit today from a guard in Brooklyn Hicks. Carson Templin is another guy who's a 2023. He's going to, you know, if he commits, he'll be a, you know, real freshman recruit. So clearly they're, they're pivoting a little bit here. And maybe that'll be the story for a lot of college basketball where this transfer portal, that, the great thing about talking about the transfer portal is people freak out and they're like, this is going to be Armageddon and chaos and crazy forever. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, everything is kind of situational and can change over time. And maybe there are a lot of college basketball coaches who will experience a transfer portal and go, you know what? This isn't for me. I don't want to turn over seven guys on my roster every year. And more importantly, I would hope that the kids go through this for three or four years and they're like, well, one, oh my God, there were 1,800 players in the portal. I was one of the 700 that didn't get a scholarship at another stop because that is happening all the time. Kids go into the portal and they give up a scholarship at a Division One school and they're like, wait, there's not 12 schools that are coming after me? No, there's not. So there's kids losing out that way. And then there's also situations where a kid could leave, go somewhere else, and they're like, well, this kind of sucks. Like, I'm not playing, and I went to the other school in the first place because I really like that staff, and I really like my teammates, and I like that city, and I like the school. So I hope there's a leveling out here. But as that happens, we're going to see what Kevin Kruger does. So it looks like right now he's going to try to line up some 2023s, and you know they're, they're going to try to get old traditionally. You're going to still try to win, but they're going to try to get old traditionally by bringing in two- and three-year guys eligibility-wise from the portal and then some freshmen here and there. It's going to be really fascinating to watch. But guess what? In the world of college basketball in 2022, while all of this is going on, you got to win. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Costas, who will not be quiet no matter what. Listen, Costas has just, I don't know, he thinks that I guess every word is golden because he just will not shut up. Everything's a history lesson. We don't need a history lesson every two seconds. Okay? Everybody's a Yankee fan. They have Yankee history. They understand Yankee history. They know it backwards and forwards. This is not a history class. It's a baseball game. Be quiet. Now, back to Cofield and Company. He must have said a thousand times, the Yankee home runs. We know the Yankees have doubled their home runs this year. We know the Indians hit 127 homers and the Yankees hit 254. We know that. Everybody knows it. NLCS, we've got set up. Cofield and Company, JBT, joining the show. We hear uh, Mike Francesa, one of your favorites. A legend of Sports Talk Radio, paved the way for uh, young guys like uh, yourself and myself to do this backwards and forwards. Gets very angry. Um, I like that rant because, one, I find Bob Costas a little bit annoying and smug, and I always have. And I think more people are coming around to that. Uh, but I also... It's incredibly ridiculous and shallow of Mike Francesa to think that Bob Costas can't do history lessons. Uh, one, there's young viewers. Two, everybody is not a Yankees fan. 
stop, stop, Mike. Yeah, no. Everything he was listing <laughs> off, it, it, one by one, I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So that's the yeah. first problem. Second, baseball is just such an old sport. Every game is a history lesson. Huh? That's all they do is tie their stuff into uh-huh. old, like old timey, like what's what they got left, right? Tungsten Arm McGee and whatever the old joke right. is like, <laughs> yeah. back in the 1800s. Like, you know, the funny thing is, I said is? it's what they got left. Sadly, it's not. They have so much to work off of, but they always want to. They baseball is the sport, and all sports are like this. But baseball is the sport of sports that constantly does back in my day. Yes, you know, which listen, I don't want to sit and have an Otani Babe Ruth discussion, but you could. Otani's better than Babe Ruth, though. right? Like that's the thing. Well, but it's it, but here's the thing, and every single conversation about baseball in this realm generally just goes back to the very same point. Which is baseball holds itself back because it is very back in my day. It does not allow growth. Like, I was surprised, and I'm sorry because I barely watched the baseball postseason. Was it the Phillies uh, last round or this round with the ridiculous bat flip where the batter took it? Like, the second it went off, he took it and just chucked the bat. I think it was Reese Hoskins, right? Who literally just chucked the bat into the dugout as hard as he could. Like, those moments are awesome. I I love that. Buy into the celebrations. I don't like the guy. One of my most favorite baseball memories was actually sitting in this studio. It was me, Taylor Byrne, and Adam Hill watching that divisional series with the Blue Jays and the Rangers where Joey Bautista chucked that bat after a hit. I think it was like a two- or three-run shot when they were playing the Rangers at home. Like, those kind of things they need to buy into more, man. But they never do. Padres just exploded in the uh, NLCS game, too. Okay. Well, the five spot in the bottom of the fifth. It's uh, seven to four now. Going to the check that it's still in the bottom of the fifth bases loaded two outs Padres seven to four uh, homers from Brandon Drury and uh, Josh Bell, who was very quietly a part of their gigantic deal. But that was a nice pickup. Yep. Uh, Look, and this is the cool thing about baseball, which is why if they grew more, it, it would get more people into it. It's kind of a random sport, man. Like you get these runs from these teams where if you get your team at the table, you can have a shot at it. Wish the Angels were there. Someday, maybe. Don't get emotional, please. Don't get don't get emotional on us. Hey, so I was mentioning uh, a couple of things with UNLV. I forgot to mention uh, something really important. You know, the Lady Rebels had an awesome year last year mm-hmm. and made the NCAA tournament. They're going to get a lot more TV exposure this year. So that Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network. Um, I was part of the broadcast for North Texas and UNLV football. They're going to air twelve. Lady Rebel games, which is which is really cool, and you know how frustrating it is sometimes during the non-con with running Rebel basketball and some of the games. Like this isn't on TV; it's just a web stream. Really, Uh, I think the number is seven, so they've added seven men's games to the slate as well, and that'll be on uh, Fox Five Point Two and also on uh, Cox as well. So good news for UNLV fans. A lot more TV, especially locally, to cover both the men's and women's basketball programs.